You're listening to Toronto's number one real estate podcast, powered by Watson Estates. The most successful local real estate investing starts right here, right now. Here's your host, broker, investor, and social media influencer, Bradley Watson. Good morning, investors. Bradley here from Watson Estates. Today is Monday, July 6th. 2020. And as usual, thanks for joining us. I'm so excited. We're at 99 podcasts. That means we're one away from triple digits. And it has been a wonderful journey joining you guys on an ongoing basis to stay up to date. And we quickly became number one on iTunes, Spotify, and Google podcasts. And you know what? We're having some fun. We're keeping up to date in the local news and in many ways getting ahead of the curve to try and anticipate what comes next for our portfolio as investors here in Toronto. So I want to jump into some great content today. We're going to discuss what are some of the recommendations that Trev are putting forward as policies that could and will mostly fuel the Toronto market. And I want to talk about this idea of supply and affordability and like what comes next, right? What comes next? Then how has the pandemic impacted city funding? There was an interesting article, a column that came out that we're going to dive into this idea that as we haven't had as many people coming in, how is that now impacting the city and what is happening to protect municipalities? A bit of an update on that as well. And where are we in Canada's reopening? As we like to kind of have, I, I we've had this all the time. I know this is a, a common thing and the reality is, is we are reopening. And so we want to know what is next. And I'm so excited this week is going to be a beautiful week for myself and my family. We're actually going up to Aurelia later tonight. We'll be there at midnight and we like to call it Watercrest. It's a beautiful little cottage up in Aurelia, Ontario. And it's, it's kind of, it's a family getaway it really is. They have uh, pedal boating up there. And so, you know what? I might set up my mic on the water and record just for you guys. See if we can capture the voice of a loon in the distance. <laughs> But you know what? My favorite part is actually campfiring under the stars. I love it. Something about it. You know what they say? You build a man a fire and he'll be warm for a day. If you set a man on fire, he'll be warm for the rest of his life. <laughs> so I'm excited. I'm going to try and do one or two podcasts while we're up there. But we also have the stats for last month coming out in a video on Wednesday and as a podcast on Thursday. So definitely check that out. If nothing else, it will be wonderful content. This week is going to be a week for Treb Stats. It's my favorite week of the year, of the month. <laughs> and sometimes it happens twice a month when we get lucky and Trev releases their data more than once. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this conversation on some of the policies that are being put forward. An article here from the Toronto Sun this morning. Actually, I think this came out yesterday. It's called Reopening Canada, Toronto's Real Estate Industry Wants to Boom Again, so it starts off saying for the Toronto area real estate industry, the beginning of 2020 was shaping up to be a record setting year. And then the pandemic happened. I love how like 2020 is a story. <laughs> we just hope there's a happy ending. <laughs> so the Toronto Real Estate Board's new, it's called this Real Estate Market Economic Recovery Incentives document <laughs> is going to be released next week. That's this week. So that's something to look forward to this week as well. They're founding, now they, we haven't gotten the updates from Treb on the stats for last month, but they, based on previous expectations, saw a drop of 67% in April compared to the year before, and it was down 53% in May. So we saw a bit of a comeback here compared to May 2019, but prices have remained stable. And the reason is they dropped in unison with the number of buyers. And this is what we've been tracking. So you guys know that that's no mystery, this balance between new inventory and the number of sales is nothing short of a miracle. So 
Here's a quote. The supply of listings, which was a concern before the pandemic shutdowns began, will continue to be an issue as the economy and housing market recovers. We've I've talked about this in past podcasts. I am more concerned about affordability than price. And I hope you guys are too, because affordability is the long-term huge issue that we face here in the GTA. No question about it. If So here's a side thought. If, for instance, a second wave came along, a quote, more aggressive approach to government stimulus might be needed. So here's some of the conversations that's coming out of the real estate board here in Toronto and some of the surrounding boards as well is we might need you to come bail us out if we get a second wave, right? Like, cause we don't really know what happens if and when a second closure happens or if we start pulling things back. But what I am most interested about in this particular article is what comes right here. Treb is recommending that policymakers need to address the lack of a diverse housing supply in the GTA to ensure affordability and quote, it should once again be top of mind once the recovery takes hold. So we're not sitting in our hands at Treb over there. They're saying, you know what? We're expecting a pretty solid market. Like all things considered, even if it comes down a little bit, like you can see we're, we're pretty good. So let's get back to the real conversation about affordability. And here are some of the things that we put forward. So for the city, this could mean a deferral of the municipal land transfer tax. I think that's a bad idea. (laughs) Personally, I think that's a bad idea. Obviously, Treb's open to stimulating buyers with that one because you're pretty much saying, I know you can't afford the municipal land transfer tax, which is a joke in general that we even have that, but good luck winding it back now. The municipal land transfer tax, if you're going to defer it, all you're doing is stimulating buyers. Because like, oh, I don't need to deal with that right now. I'll pay with that later. Maybe it gets rolled into my property tax. I get paid over time. Who knows? Maybe I pay it on the tail end, right? Maybe it's kind of like CMHC insurance and it gets tacked onto my mortgage. I don't know. I don't know. But in any case, it's a terrible idea. <laughs> we have plenty of demand. We don't need more of that. Or a deferral of property taxes. I don't think that's a good idea either. I personally don't think it's a good idea because the cities are already screwed. They're underwater. They are underwater. And we're going to talk about what is happening on that front. So also a bad idea. But you know what? They didn't go three for three. This one's a good one. And streamlining zoning approvals. Yes, there we go. Right? So deferring land transfer tax, that's just going to push demand. What we really need is to address supply. And this comes with streamlining for developers and for zoning approvals. Now, yes, there needs to be a level of protection. Like there needs to be a balance here. But we got to speed that puppy right up. So that's at the city level. At the provincial level, here's what Treb wants. Consider a land transfer tax deferral, again, terrible idea, and adjust first-time buyer rebate, okay, to, to what they were, because you guys you know we've talked about this, is this rebate first-time home buyers get. It was kind of mapped out at like less than half the price of what a home is now, and they were getting pretty much free land transfer tax. So they're saying, well, let's bring it back up to its current rate, the current bracket, and they're not opposed to an average price that aren't opposed to average price property. So they line up. So let's get everything back on track for first time buyers. And I'm open to that more so in order to get a level playing field. But again, I, as a general rule, anytime the government sticks its nose in one of these things, you know, there's going to be a, a backlash for first time buyers. Obviously they, they've been screwed time and again. And so the funny thing is, is you try and throw stuff at them, say, Oh, we're going to help you out in this way. Oh, we're going to help you out in this way. But then it just, it equates to, you know, them being over, like, I don't know. I, I don't even, I can't even see how this circles back around. I just know anytime you throw money, you're taking it from someone else and you get caught. That's just kind of, that's how economics works. <laughs> I trust the economics more than I trust the, the short-term thinking here. So watch out, right? But do we need to, if we're going to have a rebate, you might as well give the rebate. Like don't, don't give it halfway here. 
And the funny thing is, is, and I guess this comes, this is my line of thinking too. If we're dealing with affordability, people are so caught up as like, oh, affordability, I got to be able to buy myself a house. Uh, that's not the principles of affordability. The idea of affordability is that you have a place to live. You have a house. So stop focusing on buying a place. Like it's a luxury to own your property. You don't have to own your property. If you have an affordable rental space, that should be good enough. You have met the basics of a human need, right? So I think there's a really big disconnect. And I think a lot of people are like, yeah, let's fight for affordability. Whereas some people are like, oh yeah, let's do affordability. No problem. But in their mind, they're thinking we're going to make it a rental, a rental more affordable. They're not thinking I'm going to make it so you can buy a condo. Does that make sense? There's a huge disconnect on whether you're getting into the market or whether you're getting into a house. And when it comes to affordability, the basics, it needs to be a house. Whereas when we're giving rebates for first time buyers, we're not addressing it affordability as the idea of renting. We're addressing affordability as getting or buying a house. Again, we got to be really careful with just throwing money around. We got to be careful, but I don't disagree with that thought, that process, because obviously first-time buyers are struggling. The board also suggests the province expedite hearings to help optimize supply of rental housing. Yes, that will deal with affordability, okay? I would also agree we need to increase the supply of building homes too, both, right? Rental housing has been a complete flop, and in many cases, it's because some of the smaller investors, they're like, I don't want to get into rental housing because, again, policies are getting in the way. We got to be really careful with these policies, the federal government, this is another recommendation, should consider adjusting the mortgage stress test to allow for greater flexibility and allow 30-year amortization for insured mortgages. And I know there's a lot of you guys that are following us that are shaking your head at that. I I am open to it from the sake of being able to, again, afford a place. But what are we trying to do afford? Are we trying to afford to purchase a property? Because we know 30-year amortizations, all we're doing here is stacking debt. We're just saying like, yeah, let's just let's just extend this thing. Let's add more interest payments as in in principle as Canadians, and let's just accept that. And that's a it's a slippery slope. It really is a slippery slope. So, thirty year amortizations are not an unusual thing. The U.S. has them, as far as I can tell, and it's pretty. It's been in conversation for a long time. It was one of the big platforms, I believe, that the Conservatives had back in the last election. So we'll see. Most most likely that'll come into being, but. Again, we got to be careful with these policies. The feds could also consider various options for flexibility for the RRSP homebuyers plan, right? This idea of taking from your RRSP, kind of not a bad idea, right? It's actually just being able to move money around, which is not a bad idea. It doesn't really cost anything, right? So you can take it from your RRSP, which is your money anyways. You're just, you're just, you're moving around money from within government produced plans. That's pretty much what's happening. And expanding first-time homebuyer eligibility and allowing cross-generation use, such as parents using RSP funds to help their kids with a home purchase. That's not a bad idea. That's actually not a bad idea. That's the first time I've heard of it coming out of this article. Not a bad idea. But here's here's the truth. If we were to say, what's the issue? What's the local issue as it relates to housing costs, like the purchase price of a house? Not affordability. I think the issue here is the short supply right? So we need more supply. More supply will deal with, with more affordability on purchasing a property. But if we're going to deal with affordability, we're dealing with let's get people into housing, which is why it's a great thing rental costs have come down. This is why I'm actually a bit of an advocate for you know lower rental rates, because I think that that at least creates a framework where you can get in the house. That's actually what people need. People don't need to buy a house. <laughs> That's a that's an investment that's reserved at this point in Toronto for the very wealthy. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you don't like it, I'm sorry. <laughs> welcome to the new welcome to 2020. Nobody's happy around here these days. 
Now they do say, or Rhea says they're going to keep open houses prohibited for a while. The, the, the underlying joke behind that is open houses. They're not that important anyways. <laughs> so we're not doing it. They say, oh yeah, we're doing it because we want to make sure everybody's healthy. Uh, okay. <laughs> I have, first of all, who does open houses in a condo? First of all, second of all, like people, people are not big fans of open houses. They, they just are not. And they don't, like from a numbers perspective, there are very few properties I've sold from an open house. Most of the people that come to open houses, by the way, are people who have realtors that are super lazy. Just go check out the open house. Let me know what you think. And then I'll, then I'll show up and take my commission. <laughs> so we don't need open houses. Get off your butts, get off your serve and go work. You lazy realtors. <laughs> they have a little talk about here, commercial real estate. I'm not going to get into it too much, but the conversation is obviously in line with, should we get bigger space or smaller space? Right, like a six by six cubicle isn't cubicle isn't going to work in an era of sensitivity to contagion. That's kind of what was a actually really fancy quote in this article. But where it sounds, this person's optimistic. We're going to need larger space because people are going to have to go back to work. But then you could make a counterpoint, say, well, we don't need as much space because people are working from home. So that's still up in the air. That's to be decided. Efficiency of retail will increase because people will not be browsing and loitering in stores the way they used to. They buy what they want. And get out. <laughs> 2020, forcing women to shop like men. <laughs> Ooh. Right? That's that's the difference. That's the difference. No more couch sitting. Actually, the couch sitting is, is at home. <laughs> we are shopping like men these days. Get in. Get the socks. Find the gum on your way out. <laughs> that's it. All right. Let's move right along. So those are some of the big suggestions that are coming from Treb. And obviously they got a lot of pull. So a lot of those things, I would say the majority of those things are going to kick in because there's a lot of, there's a big membership, first of all, of which I am included. And they are a strong voice. They are tracking what's happening and they identify and are in line with what politicians are saying. Affordability is an issue. So watch and see as those things slowly unfold. The RSP thing I find very interesting, the multi-generational one. Okay, let's move on. Topic number two, this idea of municipalities or the cost being hit. There was an article that came out of, I believe it was The Sun, but here it is. The second largest financial center in North America, Toronto is Canada's business and financial capital and North America's fastest growing tech market. We are the functional brain of organizations where world talent is attracted, recruited, hired, and put to work. And it's all to our benefit. Home to some of North America's fastest growing populations, Toronto's population increase has little to do with birth rates and everything to do with net migration, both from within our borders and beyond. So very interesting concept that they take on this article. I think it's pretty cool is we know the value of immigration. We've talked about this in the past and a lot of people get their panties in a bunch, big whoop. Okay. Like we, we, the birth rate is declining. We're, we're, we're shrinking as a population. So if we're going to grow and if you believe that population growth leads to natural growth as the economy. Maybe you disagree with that point, but if you are on that page, then we're, we're, we're getting a lot of opportunities from the people coming in our country. So there we go. That's where the article starts. Because the people coming immediately contribute taxes that keep our potholes filled, transit running, and the lights on in our schools, libraries, and rec centers. And for Toronto, a city required by law to keep a balanced budget, those tax, taxes are critical to funding operations. I love this approach, right? So not only are they fueling jobs, not only are they purchasing properties that you're able to sell and then move to something more affordable in the suburbs, and they're they're starting that cycle with the wealth that's coming into our country. 
And a lot of people would say, oh, there's a lot of, I actually have received recent comments with people saying there's a lot of dirty money coming into Toronto. Maybe. That's very hard to track, but maybe. I've seen articles that talk about that as well. But generally speaking, they are fueling our tax system, right? Property taxes, municipal land transfer taxes, once referred to as Toronto's, quote, budget balancing golden goose, no wonder we still got it, comprise a significant percentage of the city's revenue, like a significant. That's where we get a lot of our money. In terms of financial impact, the estimated burn rate for the city at the height of things was $65 million per week. Months of deferred property taxes for homeowners will be the extra kick. So this puts us back in this conversation that we've been having, where municipalities have said, I think it was in the range of $15 billion across the country, are struggling. We are in deficits or en route for deficits, which is going to mean double-digit property tax increases. So that brings everybody up to speed. So what do we do? Because these municipalities need to maintain a balanced budget. So this article says a decrease in demand for housing in the downtown core means an eventual decline in property values, right? So this idea of we see a property dropping, we see this happening in the condo space specifically. Fewer people transacting real estate purchases means a hit to the land transfer tax. So that's a double whammy. Property tax goes down, the collection of property tax as the property values come down, they get reassessed and the properties are coming downwards. But also less people are, this actually was a bigger impact I'd say for this year, was the land transfer tax. If people aren't buying property. So then this is where I find it funny when you pair this up with the recommendations of removing or deferring the land transfer tax. You see the problem here? Do you see the disconnect? There's competing interests. And unfortunately, the TREB interest seems to be really poking at the idea of we want to stimulate demand. But the real issue here is that the cities, they're, they're sinking, they're underwater. And although you might not agree with the municipal land transfer tax, as I don't agree with that tax, it is quote, a golden goose. It's laying eggs of wealth within our city. So you can't just get rid of it. The golden goose will have stopped laying its eggs. <laughs> So it seems to me, this is according to the article, that maybe people should stop complaining about companies bringing in talent from beyond our borders and recognize that it may well be what props up our economic recovery. The alternatives are definitely going to anger you more. Namely, double-digit percentage increases in your property tax and increases in land transfer tax. Do you want that? I don't. (laughs) So this brings me to another article from actually a different Toronto Sun article. And this dialogue that's now happening between the city of Toronto and between Trudeau and between Ford. And what do we do now? Because we've seen that the government, the Canadian government has helped a little bit. And the provincial government has helped a little bit. But not nearly what is needed by our province. In fact, the at the provincial level, it seems as though Ontario is really sitting and, and waiting it out as they wait for Canada to bail us out where other provinces have actually taken legitimate steps to resolve the issue. But then we've also seen municipalities like Mississauga recently that announced not that much of a property tax increase. Somehow they finished, they filled it out. They, they, they found efficiencies. So where do we stand on all of this? Because according to the Federation of Canadian Municipalities, they have asked between 10 to $15 billion to cover lost revenues. So here's what Tory said. I would say that both governments, quote, both go in a room. I don't care if it's only the government of Canada and the government of Ontario. Forget the other provinces for now. <laughs> what a leader. <laughs> Forget you. Sit down and decide how much you're going to give to municipalities, putting all other good causes aside. Property taxes were never meant to be paid to pay for extraordinary relief in a pandemic like this or for that matter, social programs. How funny is that? Our property taxes are so high that he likens it to that being what supports the pandemic relief. Like it's such a high amount that it's like, 
That single-handedly is what's supporting everything. I'm willing to go through such a meeting if I can help. Nobody likes the mayor of Toronto, but I'm happy to go and help if I can between two people that I respect. So political. But the point here is, is we don't have the support that has been requested by the municipalities, including Toronto. So let's see if and when that happens. Because if it doesn't, things are going to get a little bit more expensive here in the city. It would be made even more effective if we could be assured that the federal government will match its kind of assistance pursuant to the requests we have made to both governments. This is just the start. Oh, it's just the start to give you $15 billion. <laughs> All right, before we get into our last topic, some more fun stuff. Not real estate, but equally as entertaining. Kanye West is going to run for president of the United States. Finally, someone of substance. <laughs> the only thing Kanye loves more than the idea of being president is Kanye. <laughs> I also saw a, a side article from the Globe and Mail. And without going too much into the details, the idea is that the banks are actually extending the ability for you to apply for your loan deferrals. A lot of the banks are doing this because it seems that either... People are now it's becoming an issue where it's like, you know what, now I want to defer and the applications, they want to make sure they're still open so you could, or people are continuing to apply for this loan deferral. So the point is, is people are still heavily relying on loan deferrals. So my question again is, is there going to be an extension? Is that going to happen? What does that look like? How do we transition? Because as we'll see in a minute, CERB is planning a transition, but how are we planning on transitioning these deferrals? And then also fun news, the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation is looking for a new CEO. So according to the job post, actually the salary is $390,000. I don't know if you work from home, but we'll see. According to the job post, the president will be accountable for setting the vision and strategic direction needed to attain CMHC's 2030 aspirations. Also, must be good at making poor predictions and starting Twitter wars. <laughs> I didn't read the entire job description, but I'm sure that's in there. It's got to be in there somewhere. <laughs> So that'll be interesting. All right, let's get back on track here. When are we reopening in Canada? When are we reopening? And what does that look like? What are things going on? Like we're right now we're, what are we in stage two? Coming into stage three this month, which you'll see in a second. But I saw in this, in line with this, I know this is outside Canada, but I thought it was interesting. I saw an article of the UK, Property News searches for overseas homes, quote, rocket as buyers move rush to move abroad. Now they're not coming here. Okay. They're going to Spain, France, Portugal, Italy, and Greece. In other words, European cottages, right? So they're, they're giving themselves, they're, they're opening up and they're running away. In fact, it seems to, based on this article, have had a direct result in people wanting to buy a second property away from where they are because they're so stuck and cooped up that they're over it. Right? So can this happen here? Can this happen around the world where people start to buy properties maybe in Canada? I don't know. I don't know. As long as it's not Americans. <laughs> that said, the college I'm going to has a ton of Americans that live on the same body of water. So apparently it's going to be a really quiet week this week as they're all stuck down there south of the border. <laughs> and so according to Narcity, I kind of spoiled the beans there. They're saying that we could reach stage three this month, but of course there will not be large events. Some of the other things to watch this week as it relates to reopenings and things that are going on as we progress, the Trudeau, first of all, actually, before we go there, Treb stats, woohoo, Treb stats. Now I'm going to be releasing a video this week. The one that I did was on Zucasa stats, but Treb will be also releasing stats. And as that happens, we'll dive into those. And if you're following us on our podcast, you are getting the full scoop. If you're following us on a weekly basis through our videos, not so much. If you've come this far, you're probably following us daily. And thank you. Thank you. And if you're not subscribed, 
What are you waiting for? <laughs> the Trudeau government will update the country on the state of Ottawa's finances on July 8th. They're getting a lot of flack right now from some of the opposition parties. And the reason is because they've refrained from predictions or like they call it snapshot of what the economy looks like. What are, where are we? Because they're like, unlike what CMHC has done, they don't want to call or predict anything. They, they want to sit back and say, oh, we're just going to take it kind of day by day here, right? But that obviously, as an opposition party, you, you don't want that. You want them to look bad. And so it's like, no. And so they're saying the parliamentary budget officer says we could hit $256 billion due to spending on emergency aid. And one of the, the finance minister, I think it was, people on CERB should be rewarded when they make the courageous decision to go back to work and earn a wage. This is the most interesting part of this whole article. The conservative party's proposed, quote, back to work bonus to transition workers off CERB. So whether their plan, so their plan, by the way, was if you're making between a thousand to 5,000 a month, right, then you would lose your $2,000 CERB. Workers would lose them. They're saying they'd be eligible for this bonus, whatever this bonus looks like. And you know what? Because it's coming from the conservatives mouth, I don't really care. I don't care. What is interesting to me here is that we are now coming up with a plan. Parties are putting forward plans to get off of CERB, which is a good sign. It's also a scary sign. It's good because we need to get off CERB. We can't run universal wage subsidies for everyone forever. It's not going to happen. We can't afford that. Again, $256 billion due to emergency aid. So we got to get off that plan. What does that look like? I don't care. Let's get off it. So, so that'll, t the other thing though, that we need to keep in mind is as this happens, many people argue and me included that CERB is fueling a lot of the demand, a lot of the upward price pressure on pricing in our marketplace. So when that gets cut off, will the momentum that's happening right now be high enough to springboard us into Q4? And we will see. We will see. In the meantime, today, I'm going to start packing for the next few days up at the cottage. You know, get my sleeping bag, as you guys call it together. You know what I call it? A knapsack. <laughs> it's so beautiful up there, guys. Last year, I was actually gazing up at the stars and was thinking to myself, wait, where in the world is my roof? <laughs> I'm going to leave it there, and I'll catch you guys through the week. Enjoy it, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and keep it real.